Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for being here today. Today we are going to talk about something important, uh, more important even than hand washing, uh, which I don't know. I mean, I don't want to take a poll on that to see how you guys feel. Uh, hopefully we're not going to have a big debate break, break out. Uh, today, though, actually, we're going to talk about good and evil. We're going to talk about tradition versus commandments. I mean, we're just going to sort of dive into everything. And I think the reason why this is important is because there's a lot of different sort of opinions and thoughts about where good and evil come from and, you know, what makes us do the right thing, what makes us do the wrong thing. Undoubtedly, you've thought about this yourself, right? Like, you probably can think about things that you've done right, things that you've done wrong, and you're trying to ask yourself the question, like, where are these things coming from? And today, Jesus actually explains that for us. So, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, first off, so that we can sort of understand what's going on here, we're going to have to do a, a little bit of background work. You should know that this whole washing your hands thing was basically just bunk, okay? So, like, uh, verse 1 says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, do you notice the operative word here? This was not a commandment, like, laid out in Leviticus or something like that, which is important to note, right? When we're reading the New Testament and the Pharisees come up, we just sort of, like, a lot of times we write it off and we're like, oh, that, that probably is somewhere in there, right? There's a lot of crazy rules in the Old Testament. That's probably one of them. No, not one of them, okay? The operative word here is tradition of the elders, okay? Tradition of the elders, meaning that some old dudes had decided that people should ceremonially wash their hands before they eat. Then through the years, it became something that people had done more and more often, and then people began to treat it as if it were a commandment. So when Jesus' disciples were caught not washing their hands before they eat, the disciples marched up, I mean the Pharisees marched up, and they were like, hey, you guys are doing something wrong here, when really they were just breaking a tradition, which is why our first point for today is don't worry about washing your hands, which is good. Oh, I thought I had a slide for it. How sad is that? Oh, man, that was, anyway. Uh, it's good because I don't do it anyway, okay? So just so you guys know, I am like Jesus, anti-washing hands. Oh, look, there it is. Man, tech team. Did you guys just invent that? That was impressive. All right, anyway. No, uh, washing your hands is not really what this is about, okay? So I'm going to leave that completely up to you guys. If you want to buy into the, the science and the man telling you about washing your hands, that's up to you. For me, I'm going to build immunities and be like Jesus, okay? So uh, anyway, that's not really the point. Jesus claps back at them with this zinger. He answered them, why do you break the commandment, for the, uh, commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother should surely die, or must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. I was expecting like a big like, ooh, right? Like this is a sick burn from Jesus, right? Right there, he is like throwing it down. You'd be like, get him, Jesus. He said, you guys should all die in part of that, right? Now, uh, you guys are not nearly as excited about this as I am, so maybe some context would help with this, okay? Basically, back in the day, 
they would say that you should take care of your parents when they get old. We kind of treat it as like, well, yeah, that's probably a nice thing to do. Uh, it's actually part of the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother, which is what Jesus is citing here. And uh, another uh, part from the Old Testament, whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The way that they understood that was that that meant that you needed to take care of these people. That was part of honoring them uh, as they got older. And basically what would happen is, let's say that you were like living back then and you had a farm. And uh, that farm was like producing crops. Uh, and they would use some of the proceeds of that farm then to go and support their parents. That makes sense, right? But instead, what they could do is they could say, this farm is now dedicated to the Lord. And then they wouldn't have to give any to their parents. And what's interesting with that too is that they had come up with this whole system you didn't actually have to like deed the farm over to the priests or anything like that. Like you could just basically say like, hey, this is my farm and now it's God's farm and sorry, mom and dad, I'm not really gonna take care of you, right? It would be like knowing that your mom needed like money to be in an assisted living home but telling her you really needed a PS5 and actually it was God's PS5, so sorry, mom, I'm not gonna be able to help you pay your bills, right? Like that's kind of like what this was. And the crazy thing is this was like totally acceptable and blessed by these Pharisees, right? So that's why Jesus is saying like, how are you breaking the actual command of God and using your tradition as a way to do it? For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. That's why our second point, and it's a small one, but you should know it is take care of your mom and dad. I know this gets complex. A lot of us aren't living anywhere near our parents. A lot of us even have complex relationships with our parents. I think all I really want to say on this, not to like end up on a whole side thing because it's not really the point of this passage, is that being one of the Ten Commandments, honoring your father and mother, it has to mean something to you. And I'm not really sure what it means to you, and most of us don't have farms, and I don't think our mom wants a slice of our PS5, but uh, it has to mean something to us. That's actually a command from God to, to honor your father and mother. And sometimes that might mean that you have to honor from afar. Sometimes that might mean you have to sacrifice some of your own things for your mother and father. I'm not really sure uh, what necessarily it looks like in your own particular family situation, but it is something that God has commanded us to do. But that's not really the point of this passage, so let's keep moving on. Verse 7, Jesus says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah say of you when he said, These people honor, or This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to them. And said, hear and understand, it is not what goes into a mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, or came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Pause for a moment. I really like that, right? They're like, did you know you might have hurt the Pharisees' feelings? Like, Jesus seems kind of unfazed by this, right? They're like, Jesus, did you realize what you just said? <laughs> He's quoting Isaiah to these Pharisees that well would have known this verse and thought that they were succeeding at it. He also said that whoever reviles their mother and father should die and then said, you guys are doing it. Like, he knows, right? Anyway, sorry, that's just a side rant. Verse 13, he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Okay, so this is not a guy that's worried about offending anyone, all right? He called them blind guides clearly does not think too much about these Pharisees. But let's be honest for a moment and just ask, what exactly is he attacking? They were coming at him because his disciples ignored a tradition 
And he said, actually, you guys are knowingly disobeying a command. Right? It's kind of like the difference in like things that we all just sort of like accept as like a traditional idea versus like things that are actually really like laws. It'd be like somebody coming at you and being like, hey, you can't cut someone off in traffic. And you're like, hey, you just crashed into that guy. Okay? I don't want to hear it. Somebody's like, oh, you can't tip less than 15%. And they're like, Jesus is like, you just stole a cheeseburger. So I'm not really sure why we're talking about tip over here. They are like, you can't like your own social media posts. And Jesus is like, you hacked someone else's account, right? Like, that's kind of like the difference in what's happening here. Something that's sort of like, well, maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. That's just commonly agreed. We shouldn't do that. And Jesus is saying, you're actually breaking the commands of God. And the point of it is this. That the commands of God will always be more important than the traditions of humans. That's the point here. God gave us a moral code to understand what is right and wrong. There's good and there's bad, and he told us what they are. And yes, sometimes they're difficult to apply. Sometimes they take a little thought to understand completely. But God doesn't leave us just to, like, imagine and figure that out for ourselves. And what happens is human beings and their attempts to apply that end up creating rules over time. So you take something that, you know, is a good thing. And then you start adding rules to it and rules and rules and rules, or you start applying it over time and over time and over time. And then what would happen is you would start treating those things as if they were the commands of God. Now, it could be easy here to start pointing fingers. And just to help us understand, maybe we take a second today and ask, what is, who is the Pharisee today? What traditions are people trying to make as rules for others? You can probably think of one. One example that probably comes to mind if you grew up in the church uh, and, you know, you're like around my age uh, is this idea of like a purity culture that was present in the church when many of us were growing up. It probably didn't start as like a terrible thing, right? It didn't start as somebody being like, hey, let's uh, find a, a new way to reinforce the patriarchy and subjugate women. Like, I don't think that was necessarily it. And yet, over time, somebody was like, hey, we probably need to like, you know, help young girls figure out how to like be modest or something like that. And then it developed into this thing where somebody's like, are you wearing a spaghetti, a spaghetti strap shirt? A spaghetti crap shirt? I don't know what that is. A spaghetti strap shirt? You're sinning. Get out of here, you harlot, right? And then you've got little middle school girls developing these like complexes and stuff like that. It ended up just being uh, not great. Now, I'm sort of even making light of something that is actually pretty serious here. But the reason that why I bring it up is because I think this is like exactly what was happening. That someone took something that probably was like a good idea, like washing your hands for the Pharisees and like being modest and like thinking very clearly about how you want to present yourself to the world. And then came up with these traditions around it and started applying it to other people as if it was uh, a sin to do it incorrectly and godly to do it correctly based on what their own particular understanding and tradition and application of this was. And that's the really hard thing about thinking about something like this. It very often comes from a good place initially. But then when you turn it into a command from God, when you take something that is very human and pretend that God said it or God wants to enforce it, it very often shifts from being a good thing to becoming evil and oppressive. But instead of just pointing fingers at other people, what we have to do, what Jesus invites us to do in this moment is actually turn the lens on ourselves. 
What do we try to treat as a rule that is not from God? We probably do it. I know I do it. There are things that I like maybe grew up thinking or maybe have like developed in thinking as an adult that I want to apply to myself that maybe even God has led me to apply to myself that aren't necessarily biblical but aren't opposed to the Bible or to the Bible. And I start applying it to other people and wondering why they don't hold up to my standard. There has to be a way where we can discern what is from Jesus and what is simply the traditions of human beings. Sort of a difference between law, between right and wrong, and opinion or tradition. Because of this passage and the general posture of Jesus, we here at Dwell hold to something called sola scriptura, which is Latin. I know, impressive, right? Latin, all right? Uh, for scripture alone. This idea was birthed during the Reformation when Christians started to see that the Catholic Church had added traditions and rules to Scripture that simply were not there. And so in order to get back to what we believe that Jesus wanted us to be, they came up with this idea of sola scriptura. They started uh, to sort of push back on the church, and they actually set up five different solas is what we call them. So five different sort of statements that sort of capture a way that the reformers were trying to bring the church back to where Jesus wanted it to be. They are Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, with glory to God alone, and finally with sola scriptura or scripture alone. It is a guideline by which we can judge everything else. And it basically just says that we should ask, what does Scripture say about this? And in matters where Scripture speaks, it is the authority, it is the final say. And there's nothing else, this is the alone part, there's nothing else that we can add to Scripture and then use as a sort of like command of God, right? There's nothing else that we can sort of add on to Scripture. Everything else is basically tradition, it is extra. It is things that are sort of like optional. In everything where Scripture speaks, it becomes the final and ultimate authority. Now, I understand what that might sound like to many of you, right? Like, I understand it might be sounding like some old Bible thumper up here, right? And people have definitely used this phrase before as a means by which they might control other people, right? They have used this phrase before to abuse and harm and sin against each other just by their own particular interpretation of Scripture. But what I'm asking you for today is to not throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Do not make the modern mistake of getting rid of something true and good because someone has used it for evil. Two things can be true and at once. It can be true and good, and people can use it for ill. The reason why we believe that it is good is because it keeps us from elevating our own traditions and opinions and experiences over what God has clearly told us. Sola Scriptura frees us from the traditions and rules of human beings and holds us solely to God's standard for us. You see, people can be wrong. People can be deceitful. You can even deceive yourself, which is an important note to think as you're like even reading Scripture. But the word of God does not change. The word of God cannot be wrong. It cannot be false. It cannot be manipulative. It is what God has made it to be, what God desired it to be for us. And so we hold the sola scriptura to keep us in line with the way that God calls us to live, that God designed that we might live. But it takes some work. It's not easy. 
That's why you can get like, you know, two people in a room and ask them to read the same passages of scripture and come up with three different opinions, right? I mean, it's like a challenging thing to do. And so we have to recognize the complexity of it. Sola scripture is not like ignoring it. That's where people really get sort of like abusive there when they're like, oh, there's no complexity. I read it this way. This is what it means. And there's no debate about it. It actually takes some work to understand this, right? But it's good work. It's necessary work. In Sola Scriptura, the idea of Sola Scriptura makes sure that we are actually working towards the right thing. So where we're not working towards figuring out how to apply our traditions and our thoughts and our opinions to Scripture, but we're actually working to apply Scripture to our thoughts, opinions, and traditions. Just to get really practical for just a second, if you're like looking at this and you're saying, like, yes, I would like to submit my life completely to Scripture alone, but I have seen the ways that different people have sort of bent scripture to their will, or this takes too much hard work, or I don't know enough about the Bible to be able to do this. Here are three just really, really quick, ultra-pragmatic ideas for you. First, uh, some tools that would help would be a good study Bible. I actually recommend uh, the ESV study Bible. This is the concise ESV study Bible. So if you're like, I want to know a little bit about God, but not like completely, then this is for you, right? Uh, no, it's actually really handy, and I like it because it is concise. <laughs> no, I don't think it's like really that, uh, that bad. It's really pretty handy, and uh, it's just kind of compact. I want, you to, I want to show you right now, live, right in front of you, how this is so uh, useful. So if I were to turn to today's passage that we were reading, so Matthew 15, 1 through 20, or 1 through 20, I would come across this note that is right by Matthew 15, 5, and it says, next to given to God, it says, money pledged to the temple by a binding vow is accepted culturally that such gifts, gifts exempted people from supporting their aging parents, even if the amount promised was less than it took to support them. Thus, people could cheat both God and their parents, and the Old Testament never approved such corrupt practices. So look, this Bible, you don't even need me, right? That's usually the stuff that I tell you, but there it is, right there in front of you. That took 30 seconds. And, you know, if you were just sort of like reading along, I very often do this. You're just sort of reading along. You have no resources. You come across something like that, and you're like, okay, this is weird. What were these people doing with their parents? I don't know what's going on here. Anyway, I've got to go get breakfast, so I'm going to move on, right? So that was a simple and easy way to show, like, it doesn't take all that much work necessarily. All you need is a good resource. This is, like I said, I don't get any sort of kickback. This sounds like an advertisement. Uh, I really like the ESV study Bible. And actually, uh, this is an extra one that I have, so somebody can take this for free. I'm going to leave it up here. Nobody's going to look, and it should be gone by the end of the day, or else I'm going to judge all of you guys. Now, thebibleproject.com is my second uh, recommendation to you. It is a great site with good, solid information. They do videos uh, for the, all of you under 30 who are anti-book, right? Uh, you know who you are out there, all right? Uh, I'm sure their Bible Project videos are on the YouTubes or whatever you kids are watching now. You might could TikTok some Bible. I don't know if that's true. Anyway, uh, BibleProject.com is really, really solid. They give you introductions to books. So if you can say like, hey, uh, I know that my church is going to be going through the book of Proverbs next month. You could all say that, actually. That's like a little teaser. We're doing Proverbs over the summer. Uh, you can go on BibleProject.com and actually watch a video. It's probably 10 minutes about the background of Proverbs and what it's all about and learn everything you need to know about it. Finally, the last tool that I am going to offer to you so that you might be able to understand Scripture better, so that you can better apply it to your life, is these people right here. Look to your right, look to your left, unless you're on a, a row alone. Uh, these people right here might be your best tool for understanding Scripture. 
one of the people on your right might be a genius. One of your people on your left might not so much. I don't know. Uh, but here's the thing. <laughs> you guys are all, man, you guys are going nuts out there. Anyway, uh, here's the thing. Uh, this is what our groups are really all about. So what we do in a group is we share life together. We share a meal. We pray for each other. Uh, we're sort of like trying to figure out how to live the Christian life together. But in the midst of that and why we do what we do is we gather together around Scripture. We dive deeply into it and try and help one another discover more about what it says about us and what it says about God. Because Scripture is not easily understood by yourself. It's difficult to understand Scripture in a vacuum. So these groups, we don't just like do a Bible passage so we can sort of like check it off our box for the week or something like that. We're actually trying to understand and I know you guys all think I'm like the smartest Bible teacher in the world, but man, I learn something from like group every single week. And it's not because, you know, somebody in there is like a secret Hebrew scholar and they're hiding it from us all. It's because something is really special and powerful and magical, supernatural even about scripture, uh, that it is the word of God and through the Holy Spirit given to each and every one of us as believers, uh, it becomes illuminated to us. So there may be something through maybe your life experience, maybe through a direct act of the Holy Spirit, maybe just through the, the way that you think and understand and the way that God made you, there is something that he is revealing or has revealed to you that he hasn't done it to me. And so getting together with a group of people and diving into scripture uh, helps us to understand and apply it better to our lives. Anyway, back to the story. Jesus calls these tradition first Pharisees blind guides leading their people to a pit. So Peter wonders about this, and he's almost asking in this, he's like, why is this so bad? Please explain this to us, Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. Or, I mean, sorry, let's start with what Peter said in verse 15. So Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Gross. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You see, what happens in non-biblical traditions is that they very often change the focus from being good to looking good, to just having the appearance of righteousness. And that's why Jesus here is saying, like, don't worry so much about washing your hands. They were like, if you don't wash your hands, you're evil. And Jesus is saying, if you break the commandments, your heart must be evil. And there's a nugget of wisdom here that is imperative to understanding what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to look like Jesus. You see, you and I, we are not unlike these Pharisees. If you've been thinking in your mind about the ways that you could point fingers at all these terrible people that don't follow sola scriptura and, you know, hate spaghetti straps and stuff like that in your mind this whole time that I've been talking, man, this is your opportunity to ask yourself the question, how am I like these Pharisees? We like looking good. Don't you want people to actually, like, think more highly of you than you probably really are? Like, you know how bad you are. And think about how different that is from the person that you present to everyone else. We love the appearance of righteousness. We love bending the commandments, bending the truth of God to suit ourselves. We love making ourselves feel superior by pointing out other people's failures. 
And Jesus says none of that false righteousness, none of that traditions, none of those things that make us feel good, they don't, they don't really matter. All those ways that we perform and look nice for other people, they don't, they don't matter. What defiles, what makes a person wrong is what is in their hearts. Do you notice in this list in verse 19 that these are all basically the Ten Commandments? Like you're capturing most of them in these, this list. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And he's saying that in people's hearts live all of those things. The desire to break the commands of God comes from right here. And that's important because we typically don't think that way. The Pharisees weren't thinking that way. We don't think that way today. We tend to think that evil comes from weakness or circumstances. The Pharisees thought that the willingness to do the right thing was because you were strong, right? Like you were a good person. You worked harder than those weak people. There were bad people were people that didn't work hard enough, and good people, like the Pharisees, were people that went above and beyond. That's why it was so important for them to show with these traditions, like, hey, we're washing our hands because look how good we are. We think it too. Whenever we do something good, we think, like, man, I'm so strong, so impressive, so powerful. Those weak people didn't do as good as me, you know? Those guys, they, they're not as good. They're not, as, they're not willing to work hard and discipline themselves like I am. We subconsciously say to other people, like, well, if you were strong enough, you would do the right thing like me. But that's obviously false, right? We know that. We're all predisposed to being tempted towards different things. There are things that some people do well, some people do poorly. You haven't had different people's life experiences. You haven't been tempted by the same things they have. You might be faced with something that's not a temptation for you at all that might be crippling to someone else and vice versa. This idea that you are better than another person because you are you know, more disciplined or stronger than they are comes from a heart of pride. It comes from a false idea that we earn our own standing in front of God. Which leads us to the second way that we look at this wrong, and it's a problem that we have today. We often think that anything that we do wrong or anything anyone else does wrong is just a symptom of our background or our circumstances or the things that have happened to us. Haven't you ever heard someone say this phrase? I actually heard it this week. Well, that may not have been right, but if you've been through what they've been through, you might do it too. Now, that might not have been the right thing to do, but you can see why it was reasonable to them. Man, if you've watched a TV show in the past 10 years, like you have confronted with this idea, right? We don't even have villains in movies anymore. Have you noticed that? Like they're just people that had hard childhoods, right? And I'm not trying to make light of having a hard childhood. I'm just saying like, you need to recognize like this is what our media is feeding to us constantly. That there are no bad people once you understand their background and their circumstances and what they've had to go through. And you see now, just to dive in and lean into the complexity of this, there's something really beautiful about having empathy and understanding for a human being. This is very, very helpful when it comes to that. But if we get to a place where we say nothing is right and nothing is wrong, or we get to a place where we say no one should be held accountable for their actions, then what are we left with? Really, then sin becomes a symptom of our circumstances. 
And if that's what we believe, then we have to disagree with Jesus here who says that sin actually comes from desires that are present in our hearts. We are constantly trying to deflect away from this truth. We are constantly trying to shift the blame. Jesus here says that evil comes from the heart, from deep inside of you. Many of you may recall our potential slogan, Welcome to Dwell Church, You're a Bad Person. So we're coming back to that today. I don't know if it pops up a third time, then we are going to have to put it on a window, I think. I'm sorry about this, guys. But evil is just built up inside of us. We're selfish. We very often choose the wrong thing. We choose what we think is best for us and not others or not listening to God. We all do it. And in that way, it makes more sense than these other options, right? This evil just sort of lives inside of us. People aren't taught to be right or wrong. People aren't taught to be wicked. They aren't taught to do evil things. We figure it out ourselves, and then we grow up, and we invent even more things that are evil. And if you don't think that's true, then you need to volunteer and dwell kids. Kids are evil which is our new slogan for Dwell Kids. It goes along with it, right? Kids are evil. We don't have to teach them to be evil. I know, evil feels strong, but let's just lean with me for a moment. We don't have to teach them to be evil. The second that they see some other kid with a toy they want, they are like, oh, nah, I need to do whatever it is I need to do to get that toy that I want, which is actually why, and I know I might catch some flack for this, because uh, I know people have a lot of different thoughts about gun rights and stuff like that, but for me, I am opposed to arming toddlers. I'm going to say it right here. You can tweet it if you want. Like, I am not scared. I will say it. we should not arm toddlers, because I think that if two-year-olds have guns, uh, then if there was one ball in a room with three kids, it would turn into the OK Corral out there, right? I mean, just this kid would not think twice. And I'm saying all of that to say it's stupid, obviously. Man, no one has to teach kids to do the wrong thing, which should tell us something about ourselves as human beings. We don't have to be taught to be evil. It's inside of us. It's been there since Adam and Eve. This also gives us a better picture of what it means to be human, right? Because in some way it takes away the notion that there are good and bad people, right? Isn't that somehow better to just be like, man, we all have evil desires in our heart. Man, we all have missed the boat. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when that happens, it removes shame. Right? We can still have guilt and good holy conviction over doing wrong and sinning, but it removes shame from thinking that we're any worse than anybody else. We're all in the same boat down here. But most importantly, and I think this is what Jesus was getting to, it reminds us of our need for him. You see, a dirty person just needs to wash their hands. A weak person just needs to be stronger. A person with a past pain needs counseling, but a person with an evil heart needs a new one. And here's the thing, you can't get that yourself. Ezekiel spoke to the people of God, spoke for God, saying that he desires, God desires to take out our heart of stone and replace it with a new heart, a heart of flesh. And that is what Jesus came to fulfill, to give us that new heart, to replace our evil one with his righteousness. It's the only cure for this evil. 
Now, I wanted to be clear here, you know, Jesus comes and, you know, replaces your heart. That doesn't make you perfect. That doesn't make you always do good. What he's actually doing is taking your heart of wickedness, the thing that separates you from a good and holy God, and replacing it with his so that you might take on his righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he no longer sees our own wickedness. He no longer sees these evil hearts that we have, but instead he sees his own son's righteousness and perfection. This doesn't make us perfect or incapable of doing wrong. It actually makes us good in the eyes of the only judge who really, really matters. It makes us righteous in the eyes of God. And if you've never accepted this free gift of this new heart, if you're constantly struggling internally with your own badness, if you know that you are a person who has done evil, who has evil living inside of their hearts, and you have never asked Jesus for him to replace this heart that is inside of you, today is the day. Jesus offers that to you freely. If you're willing to sit down and take stock of the evil that exists inside of you, for the hurt and the harm that you have caused to yourself, to others, to God, if you're willing to ask Jesus to come and forgive you of those things, and if you're willing for him to come and replace your heart with his, Jesus desires desperately to do that. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.